Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So, listeners, today we are talking about women in cannabis. And because of that, we did want to put a disclaimer at the top, just, you know, content warning. But also... There are a lot of conversations happening right now around terminology when it comes to to cannabis. Um, a lot of people discussing whether or not we should call it all of the uh, terms that we have for it, the many, many slang terms that we have for it. And um, if you want to hear more about that conversation, then you can check out this episode of Save I Did where we had um, local Atlanta and friend of ours, Becca Grimm of Dope Girl Zine. Uh, she came on the show and talked to us about all of that kind of thing and also edibles, and it was a really great conversation. And then on top of that, you can see the past episode I did with Bridget on this very show about kind of this like whole attitude around 420 that is ignoring incarceration and, and just, especially of Black men, and those aspects of it where it's like people are like, yeah, 420, but you got to remember all of these other things that come with cannabis in this country. And then there's also the whole medical aspect. There's a lot to unpack here. So just that disclaimer at the very top. And also, um, if you're an adult that is legally allowed to partake, be responsible. We always are big proponents of that. Right. Right. And also... If you don't want your children to listen to this one, yeah, go ahead and shut it off. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> click, click, click. Yeah, I mean, it's our usual very educational take, but you know, <laughs> right. just to put that out there. Right. So in honor of 420, which was yesterday, as I was working on this yesterday, uh, we thought it would be a fitting time for us to look at how attitudes towards the weed industry, marijuana industry, cannabis industry, however you want to call it, is quickly changing and um, how it may have an impact on women today and possibly even in the future. So, Annie. Yes. I think we've mentioned it before, mm-hmm. but we have never actually told the story of us and our experience in California, which... <laughs> was my first time going to California when uh, weed has been legal or marijuana has been legal. Obviously, myself, who was in a government job, I was drug screened, so I was very, very cautious. Also, yeah. growing up very religious. I did not touch any of those things. They're all kind of foreign to me. And, and of course, in my mind, I, I don't know about you, growing up, it was definitely instructed to me about how dangerous it could be. Yep. As mm-hmm. well as the fact, you know, we had dare. Did you have dare? Oh yeah, oh okay. yeah. The honor and, you know, of taking that lion home for the weekend. So good. <laughs> they didn't give us a lion. They just told us, "Don't do <gasps> drugs, kids." Essentially, oh, we got know, to right? we got to trade off the lion every weekend. It was awesome. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, in honor of that, I thought we might revisit yours and my experience of going uh-huh. to a legal dispensary. Yes. And the thereafter. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Okay. So just on my end, before we get into this story, which is legendary uh, <laughs> among is. our friends. Um, and among our California co-workers, they had a oh, good laugh. Oh, they did. As they should. Uh, that's fair. I was trying to think about this when we were working on this episode. 
And I can't actually remember the first time I smoked weed. I have, I think I did it in college, but I think I did like the very presidential thing. I, I also was very nervous about it. And so I'm pretty sure I really didn't inhale. Like legitimately did not and was like pretending that I did. You're pulling a W. I pulled a W. I'm pretty sure because I don't, <laughs> I don't recall any specific experience. Um, the first time that I remember doing it was in China. Uh, and I have very funny stories around that that perhaps I'll share one day because it's also was illegal there. And I ran into a police officer. But... <laughs> you in we, China and police. <laughs> yeah, it was... It's quite the tale, I have to say. <laughs> we well, bonded. Troublemaker. <laughs> I was quite the troublemaker in China. I, not intentionally, really, but... <laughs> I also have a very funny story about like the first time I made brownies, pot brownies um, with a friend of mine. And then that said friend is somebody who uh, will randomly text me like 4.20, <laughs> just at 4.20 in the afternoon, she'll text me. Okay. But this story in LA, this is actually what our... Samantha and I was our last trip before quarantine. Yeah. One of our last trips, yeah. Yeah, together. We went to LA for this podcast conference and we did get to meet up and hang out with the LA crew of iHeartMedia. And yeah, we went to a legal dispensary. That was my first time being at a legal dispensary. It was nerve-wracking too. Like just having to process how to do this was a whole thing. And in the way you go in, show your ID, get in the Mm -hmm. weight room, and then you realize there's another room. Yep. And um, I wasn't sure what was happening, which ended up having officers, police officers, mm-hmm. sitting there, I guess, as security. But it wasn't security guards. They were actual officers yeah. within the dispensary. And I remember being really, really nervous, but very excited because, again, it's like I'm living out my college days in my 40s, essentially, 30, late <laughs> 30s and 40s. And so uh-huh. that's what it felt like. It felt so sneaky and naughty, even though mm-hmm. it was legal. Yeah, because you did. You had to go through these like two rooms. And I was also very nervous because I don't really have a lot of experience. And so, you know, you get in, you, we had to go down these stairs into like a basement. They were the police officers. And then you got ushered towards a bud tender. And we all went together because we were like, oh. <laughs> we sure um, did. And we clearly didn't know what we were doing. Not at all. And and they were very kind. The bud tenders, as they were called, were very kind and like, okay, like, what's your level of tolerance? What are you looking for? Here are things. But we couldn't have said it. Like, we don't know. We couldn't have said anything. Right. And I will say they were very patient. And they were also very obviously aware we were out. Uh, we're from out of state. Yes. <laughs> and that we probably came from a very staunch uh, <laughs> conservative yeah. state. And they weren't wrong. Uh, I remember our little attendee who checked our IDs and, and took everything was so sweet about it. I was really mm-hmm. appreciative of that uh, because she was like, oh, well, welcome. You know, so kind. And then mm-hmm. as we're going down there, it ended up being a dude who was like, okay, you know, this is what this is. And I'm sitting here looking wide-eyed. I'm pretty sure I stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, mm-hmm. People were staring at me like, oh, yeah, she's never (laughs) done this before. And the dude was trying to be so kind and telling us, well, this is what this is. This is the type of weed this is. And it's so technical. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't know anything about this. And hearing him going through all these descriptions, I'm like, okay, okay, well, let's do it this way. I don't know for sure. And he was just like, okay, we're going to do this. How much of this do you want? And then also you and I had the complication of like, okay, when are we going to do these? Yeah. Because we were only right. staying there for a week, which was a lovely vacation. Um, <laughs> of course, and I was so excited once yeah. again. that I was like, we're going to do it immediately. And you're like, Samantha. Yeah. We have to do a panel. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the funny thing about our comrades, our friends in California, because we were telling them about this. And I would say it was half and half where one person was like, definitely do not do it before your panel. And the other person kind of like, I will say it like almost a troublemaker was like, oh no, definitely. Do it <laughs> I think he was panel. excited to see what would happen if we did yes. it. It would have been a disaster, listeners, no. because we did not take, we took gummies and we did not take them before the panel. We took them after. Immediately after. Immediately after. And then we went to go get what was supposed to be a small snack at this sushi roll restaurant, which to set the scene, like imagine already a restaurant that you'd probably be a little nervous in because it's small. Like you have to order before you sit down and the the chairs are high and it's like a curved table where you're all facing each other. Imagine that you're a, a highness is setting in right when you have to order. Right. And you're realizing very quickly, oh no, this could have been a mistake. Right. So a little, a couple of caveats onto this. A is Valentine's Day. Yep. So mm-hmm. Annie had planned our trip from day to day to day to different restaurants. Because of course, for me, if I go on a trip, it's all about the food. I want the food. And of course, we had to have at least one experience with a dispensary. We were mm-hmm. so excited. So... Valentine's Day. We hadn't eaten that day. We were just going to get mm-hmm. a small amount of food. This was recommended to us. One of the best sushi places, best hand rolls, all of these mm-hmm. things. We were told by the butt tender that if you are a novice, which I said I was, mm-hmm. don't take more than half yep. of these gummies. Yep. And by the way, now that if I were to take them, I know I would only take a third. Like this is <laughs> this is the level that it hit me. Yeah. Me forgetting this in my anxiety of just getting on panel because I have a lot of anxiety in public speaking and I kind of black out essentially Mm -hmm. when I do these events afterwards was to eat a whole gummy, not thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. because I didn't think about it, I gave you a whole gummy and then Mm -hmm. my partner was there and we gave him a whole gummy, which Uh both of us, neither one of us, really do like eat or ingest or do any type of weed on a regular basis. Like Mm -hmm. typically at all, it would be like once every few months or once mm-hmm. a month at most. Mm-hmm. And that would be like stretching it. So we walk into this restaurant, which is so popular, there's a line. And half yeah. the people were already outside of that. You have to wait till people leave because what the way the hand rolls are made is made on the spot for you. And mm-hmm. comes out in rounds. And yep. uh, you can as, eat as many as you want. And then when you're done, you leave in the story. So mm-hmm. it's like a diner for sushi. So very yeah. limited seating. Just just mm-hmm. at, the, at the bar, essentially. <laughs> we walk yep. in. High stools. Trying to do math. Yes. Because we, we did also... We did it because... 
I didn't know what a hand roll was. <laughs> I thought it was like the single piece, like the sushi piece. And so we were like, yeah, let's get, I think we got like, we got way too much. We had five a piece. Yeah. And we were about to die on roll three. Yeah, I was. I thought because I was like frantically realizing the mistake we had made, I thought we were going to have to like beg the waitress to stop bringing us food. Right. And meanwhile, Samantha's trying to keep. Tra- she she'd say I'm like triumphantly, you. like it's the scallop, and then we have one more of these. And her partner <laughs> like drops a, a fork or <laughs> something, and Samantha no, a roll. He dropped a roll, hand roll. And you <laughs> let out a scream. <laughs> it wasn't a scream. It was a yelp. Mm-hmm. And because it was such a loud yelp, everybody in the diner stopped, stared at me. And my only response was, that was an overreaction. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which everybody at that point knew we were high. We were real high. <laughs> we, yeah. It felt very obvious. And I, like towards the end, I just remember a level of like barely contained panic. And then again, we've got this like looming fancy meal reservation. And right. we've eaten way too much food. And I remember very clearly like when we were all trying not to express how nervous we were about getting down from those high chairs. I just kept saying, you want to walk? <laughs> You want yes, to walk back? Because I want us to, walk to physically back. walk <laughs> to the walk, hotel. And I, yeah. I just could not understand what was happening. Those stools, who, by the way, again, if you know anything about me, I'm clumsy on a normal day. Mm-hmm. This was a bad combo of the high stool for a five foot two, five foot three, five foot four girl trying to figure out how to get down from uh, bar stools, as well as walk a few blocks back to a hotel that I can't quite remember how to get to. Mm-hmm. I feel like I remember very clearly, oddly enough, when we were checking out, because it was one of those places where you also were unsure of how to check out. And I was the one that uh, paid for it because it was a company card. And I remember doing that thing where you're like, oh, I'm fitting in with flying colors. And now I look back and I'm like, (laughs) oh, no, definitely not. (laughs) But I was sort of leading the charge back to the hotel and I would look behind and it would be Samantha and her partner. And it's just like, for video game players, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's like when a non-playable character is sort of walking aimlessly into a wall. Yes. That's yes. what I felt like. I was like, come on. Here we go. We were following you in a single file line for mm-hmm. no reason. I could not stop laughing because we were perfectly spaced out. I just could not figure out how we were doing this. And also, apparently, when it comes to like any kind of chemicals, altering chemicals, including alcohol for me, I get really dizzy Mm -hmm. and really off kilter. And the entire time, I was like, please don't lean on these people. And I I was so scared that I was going to lean on a passerbyer and -hmm. trying to concentrate on not leaning. And the story is getting very long, so we're going to wrap it up. But... (laughs) To say the least, we missed our fancy Valentine dinner. We did. Because I could not get off the bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we ended up like much later that night. I was writing fan fiction and I broke my laptop because I yes. got too excited about the fan fiction I was writing. And to this day, I know what section that is and I'll read it and it brings a smile to my face. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. You were very high. We when survived you wrote this. it. We survived it, but we learned a lot of lessons in our tolerance. We did. And I learned a lot of lessons about legal weed 
from uh, California and how powerful and potent it actually is. Yes, yes. And <laughs> so, again, res- responsible yes. ingestion. Which, yes. I mean, we only took the one gummy, but we did learn. We learned right. a lesson. Which apparently is a big practice in this. And I, I, I realize that now. I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense. And of course, we did the mistake that most beginners do when they initially take it, not realizing it takes a little while. Mm-hmm. And thinking that we're okay. We didn't yep. take more, thank goodness. But I know a lot of beginners will, not realizing yeah. you need to wait 30 minutes or however long. Yeah. It no, is. it was perfectly timed for like right when we were about to sit down in that restaurant. We were right. all like, oh no. <laughs> Here we go. But now that we've given you the very long-winded story, apologies. Uh, <laughs> we do want to talk about actual history of marijuana and the impact that it has. So let's get some history of weed, cannabis, marijuana, Mary Jane, whatever you want to call this. Uh, The original origins of marijuana or cannabis can be dated as early as 500 BC, possibly for medicinal purposes, with some usage for hemp ropes and such. And when it was actually introduced to America, it was used for rope, clothing, and other textiles in the early days of the colonies. Yeah, and in fact, it was such a great resource. Um, And because it was fast-growing, Connecticut, Virginia, and Massachusetts required farmers to grow hemp in the early 1600s. And though we, of course, now know the psychoactive properties of weed, it wasn't the main usage and wasn't necessarily the intent. Though burned, cannabis seeds were found for priests and religious leaders, historical graves and religious sites. But, you know, hard to put meaning on some of these past historical events. In the early, hemp plants didn't show high levels of THC or tetrahydrocannabinol, but it was historically used recreationally around 800 uh, CE around the Middle East and parts of Asia. And in the 1800s, cannabis was used by doctors and pharmacists to help treat stomach illness as well as for diseases like cholera. But it was also used to help treat pain in women from an early time and even used for those who were pregnant. Uh, it was recorded that during the same time frame in the 1800s, physicians were using cannabis to treat painful periods and menses like that for Queen Victoria. They would use it to not only treat the painful cramps, but for heavy bleeding as well. It was also a treatment used for difficult pregnancies, whether it was placing leaves on different parts of the body to prevent convulsions and difficult births, or using it to ease vomiting and overwhelming issues due to, yeah, the severe vomiting while pregnant, those things that come from that. Of course, these tactics are not (laughs) practiced today. Since then, the attitudes toward weed have changed greatly. So let's look at some of the negative history, as well as some myths around cannabis. Right. It was in the 1930s, which goes hand in hand with the Depression era, that marijuana usage was made illegal, labeling weed as evil. And again, with an overall prejudice to the influx of Mexican immigrants who were using cannabis recreationally. And by the way, this was soon after the Mexican Revolution and the result of prohibition all that stuff, the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 was passed, effectively criminalizing all use of hemp plants. The first person to be arrested was a 58-year-old farmer who was sentenced a day after the law passed to four years of, quote, hard labor. Mm. In 1970, President Richard Nixon classified marijuana as a Schedule I drug on the same list with LSD, heroin, and ecstasy, and labeled it the infamous gateway drug, meaning it would lead to a usage of other drugs. However, in 1972, a report titled Marijuana, 
a signal of misunderstanding that was released by the National Commission on Marijuana and Drug Abuse, also known as the Schaefer Commission, recommended a lesser sentence for lower possession amounts as well as a lesser prohibition of the product only to be ignored by the administration. Of course, we now have a better understanding of some of the myths of weed, including the misuse of gateway drug. But the campaign started way before then, including the first anti-pot film that was released in the 1930s, which included stories of people like Marty, who got addicted to marijuana and lived a life of crime and desperation, which led him to cutting up his mouth and throat after opening a pop while high by breaking it against the wall and ingesting the pop with glass. So there's this like, the film actually shows him bleeding out of his mouth because he was so oh, high he didn't no. realize this, and which led to a life in and out of jail. One of the many cautionary tales in using the, those uh, marijuana cigarettes, as they like to say. And by mm. the way, I, I want to say, I, I think I watched something similar to that. Of course, it would probably be like the after-school specials, yeah. more so than the 1930s films of when uh, we had D.A.R.E. at school. I believe I remember something similar to this. Now, Maybe not cutting the throat, but alleging that it was going to kill everyone. Yeah. And, and for any listeners who don't know, because I'm actually not really familiar with the history of D.A.R.E., but that's Drug Abuse Resistance Education in the United States, which was this program, in my experience, which was aimed towards elementary school students and middle school students uh, about, like, don't do drugs. Right. It was in uh, connection with War on Drugs. Yes. And I don't particularly recall watching any films that disturbed me, but I do remember, as listeners know, I loved math. And um, there was this chart that we had to do that I loved, but now I'm like, I wonder what messages I was (laughs) taking in from this. But you would... It was basically... The chart was supposed to show that uh, cannabis was a gateway drug. So you had like one person, you had a bunch of people do that. And then from there, you would take a small sample size and they would do cocaine. And from there, they would do meth. Like, so you would show that way that it was a gateway drug. And by the way, sometimes it was, I believe at the beginning of last year, I saw a group of dare people in front of, I want to say a Target. Really? Yeah. I know it's a big nostalgic thing for people of like the 90s. Not necessarily the program, but just the like uh, merchandise, the shirts and the bag. <laughs> I have a bag that I didn't buy. I mean, I got it through school, but I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> it is nostalgic. Yeah. But, okay, that wasn't the only myth being spread about cannabis. Some others include that uh, weed can kill off brain cells which was discredited by government officials themselves. It doesn't. Also, that weed leads to a life of crime. Of course, if it is illegal for you to possess, then yes, but that is committing a crime. But there is no link between violent crime and weed use, just FYI. Yeah, and then there's the, again, the movie Reefer Madness, which is what it was in the 1930s, claims that weed would lead to insanity and even homicidal behaviors, which, again, has been disproven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can also talk about the fact that, yeah, there is a conversation about, is it addictive? Oh. And yes, it actually is. However, the connotations to addiction to weed is severely different than an opioid. So just kind of put that out there, as well as, can you overdose? Yes, that you can. But again, it's not the same level of overdosing on opioids or even alcohol. There's not too many deaths connected primarily with just ingesting weed. So just to put that out there. But it is a thing. It is a thing. Yeah. And also, like, we're not a medical 
podcast. Right. So uh, don't seek your medical or <laughs> cannabis advice here. We're just trying to present uh, right. the current what has state of research. things in history. Yes. What has been researched, just to bring it out. And also, the, we know that there is a whole big conversation about legalizing weed in the United States. And just recently, New York has passed a law to legalize some recreational usage of cannabis, but with a lot of restrictions. Um, and there continues to be an ongoing debate of legalizing it as it is still against federal federal mandate and federal policies. Yes. And I know, again, there's other podcasts out there that can tackle this far better than we could. But like the whole uh, difficulty of if you're in a state where it's legal, but it's federally still not quite legal, then having to have like cash, and how do you deal with your taxes, all those kinds of things. So New York makes the 15th state to officially legalize cannabis use outside of medical reasons. Colorado and Washington were the first states to legalize it in 2012, with Alaska, Oregon, California, Nevada, Maine, Vermont, Massachusetts, Michigan, Illinois, New Jersey, South Dakota, Arizona, Montana, Virginia, and New Mexico. Uh, And though not a state yet, the District of Columbia followed suit soon after. Right. But... Many of the states still have continued to prosecute to the max on marijuana possession. But the ongoing debate throughout the years has been a back and forth on how to legally treat the production, possession, and usage of marijuana. And yes, that whole idea of taxation, what to do about that. Yeah. Uh, And at least 33 of the states have approved for medical usage, and several other states have lessened charges or at least decriminalized it altogether. But when we look at the incarceration rates, the amount of people with nonviolent marijuana-related charges is still a massive number, and they're still incarcerated. So that's a whole big conversation, including in states like California, where it's now legal. So there's this whole precedent on how do we correct this. And according to one report, quote, as of November 2020, the Marijuana Policy Project listed 23 states with bills to legalize marijuana, 14 with bills to decriminalize marijuana, and 12 with bills to create medical marijuana programs. With growing support in the country to legalize weed, many are looking to see how federal-level representatives will work to fight for or against legalization. Senator Chuck Schumer and others are looking to put forth a bill to legalize marijuana. And yes, I did get a chuckle out of him yesterday being like, oh, it's an American holiday, 420. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) Correct. Correct. (laughs) That is a correct reaction. (laughs) Currently, President Biden has said he is in support of the states. Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, the president supports leaving decisions regarding legalization for recreational use up to the states, rescheduling cannabis as a Schedule II drug so researchers can study its positive and negative impacts, and at the federal level, he supports decriminalizing marijuana use and automatically expunging any prior criminal records. That's what she said during a recent press briefing at the White House. So we did want to look at some of those potential positive or or negatives when it comes to women. But first, we have to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So we did want to talk a little bit about benefits for women and possible risks. And as we said a little earlier, we are not professionals when it comes to cannabis. And we are not recommending these as practices and definitely would tell you to talk to a professional and do your research. As we have learned and talked about earlier, we are not the best 
and following some of these uh, recommendations or realizing what the effects are. So all of this is with the caveat that this is what we are reading off of other people's research and some mm-hmm. of the research that has been founded and not necessarily proven because the research is still at the beginning stages and we truly yeah. don't understand the whole implication of everything. And of course, we know there's a historical backlog of a lot of things that have happened in the past, but because of the political back and forth, we've not really gotten a true understanding of what is happening. So, again, yes, we want to talk about some of these things. We are not professionals. Don't take this as if we're recommending something to you. No, absolutely, absolutely not. But with that being said, we are going to go over some, some research that's been done For instance, cannabis has been used as a way to deal with chronic pain. And in fact, according to reporting, uh, one in 10 women in Australia diagnosed with endometriosis used weed for pain management and preferred it to other treatments due to its overall success in easing pain. In Hawaii, participants in a 2014 pain management study reported a 64% decrease in pain and even noted that they slept better as well and felt less anxiety. Right, and speaking of anxiety, another added benefit could be the use of cannabis to treat anxiety and depression. According to one study, there were indications that those who use cannabis once a week or less may have some effects similar to an antidepressant due to the release of serotonin. Though not necessarily long-term, it can also help with anxiety. However, it should also be noted that it could also increase risk of anxiety if large doses are taken. Yes, I have felt that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. As we often say over on the podcast saver, bodies are complicated, more research is needed. So just because some things work for some people, it doesn't necessarily mean it won't work for you. Also, again, there are risks to taking too much as we're talking about the anxiety, um, about possible addiction. And again, this addiction looks completely different from other types of drugs. And that's why we can't say it's a schedule one level of drug necessarily, and why there's a debate about whether or not it should have even been there in the first place. A, B, there's a conversation that you can't overdose and what that looks like. And it's not as severe a reaction necessarily as it is to opiates. We could also talk about synthetic marijuana or synthetic weed, which has been proven as fairly dangerous and can have negative reactions as well. And then there's this whole conversation about what is put in with weed and who you're trusting when you're smoking and or uh, taking part of that. So there's all of those other caveats as well. So there are risks to it that you need to understand. And again, listen to your body, mm-hmm. talk to people that you trust, talk to your doctor if that's not an option, do all of those things. Absolutely. And as we said at the beginning, there have been uh, continued benefits for those who have period pains or severe PMS when it comes to cannabis. We did want to showcase some uh, women leaders in the industry as it is becoming more and more of an industry as it's legalized. And it is a fairly new market and business. And because of that, there's conversation for women to come in on a level playing field, allowing women to actually participate and thrive within something that is a fairly new industry. With its booming business, organizations like Women Grow and Women Empowered in Cannabis help organize women to make their place in these new weed businesses, teaching other women, empowering them, and helping them to connect in the industry. Um, So we did want to mention some women 
making an impact. Right. So we want to start with uh, Sarita Williams, who is a co-founder and chief marketing officer of Estro Hayes, which is a media company that offers women of color a space to learn about opportunities and lifestyles of the cannabis industry. She created the company with two other women to give more opportunities and networking in a very fast-growing market. And she stated, quote, there was and still is a real lack of inclusion when it comes to highlighting Black women and other minority women working in front of and behind the scenes in cannabis. She wanted to create an opportunity for women of color to learn more and to build their own generational wealth through an industry that is growing in leaps and bounds, but is still leaving many out of the opportunities. And we need to have this whole conversation of who is targeted when they're taking down businesses, even though it's supposed to be legal. As we said, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of contingencies on how you can run a business. And when you look at some of the businesses that have been shut down or some some of them that have been overly policed, oftentimes Mm -hmm. you see it as a, a business that is owned by a person of color. Yes. We also wanted to talk about Mary Pryor, who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and had endured many trips to the hospital for pain and suffering due to her illness and was able to change her life through the use of medical marijuana. And it was partly through this she started her journey within the marijuana industry. Pryor moved to California and co-founded Kenna Clusive, which, quote, fosters inclusion in the cannabis industry through marketing visuals, consultancy, advocacy, education, and wellness guidance. She fights to make sure that um, she can give, quote, consumers tangible ways to contribute toward racial equity in the cannabis industry. And though the industry is, yeah, fairly new, it's no surprise to see that the standard is still uh, white cis men as the lead while still other people of color who are coming into the industry. And I was thinking about this earlier about some of the problems when it comes to 420, for instance. And yeah, when I think about people who recreationally use cannabis, I do think of Seth Rogen, like white, right. white straight white dudes. <laughs> right. Pryor is also part of Equity First Initiative, which, quote, harnesses the political power of cannabis organizers who work at the intersection of the cannabis industry, racial equity, and reparative justice, which is so, so important. And we cannot forget this when we're talking about all of this. Right. So we do have some more women we wanted to showcase, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And uh, next, we wanted to talk about Bridget Hennessy, who is the VP of Government Relations at Weed Maps, uh, which is a tech company in the weed industry. Hennessy is an expert in marijuana regulation and is now an advocate that, quote, works to ensure the minorities have a seat at the table for a new cannabis economy and seek reparations for those unlawfully imprisoned for drug offenses. Um, and if you can't tell, we're very excited. and We want to highlight the women who are actually doing the work. Unfortunately, that's having to do the work that should have been undone a while ago. Let's just be honest. So we think it's really important that we talk about the women who are making these changes, not just people who are thriving in these businesses, which we are so happy for, but what we need to do to make this right. For if it's going to be something that the government is like, oh yeah, we're going to welcome this because we can make a lot of money, then we also need to talk about the long overhaul of changing the system altogether. But she has a long list of experiences when it comes to policy change and restructuring. And for her, she said working in one of the biggest tech companies in the weed industry has allowed her to work on a whole new level when it comes to understanding and advocating for those who have been prosecuted and persecuted. Yes. 
And then finally, we wanted to talk about Wanda James, who is the founder and CEO of Simply Pure, a cannabis dispensary located in Denver, Colorado. She was the first Black owner of a legal dispensary. She not only is an advocate who works to fight for equity within the business, but is a leader within the industry. She is a former lieutenant of the United States Navy. She also was on the National Finance Committee under President Obama. Not only is she a small business owner, but she is a managing partner with the Cannabis Global Initiative, which works to assist political and strategic positioning to decriminalize and regulate within the cannabis industry. Right. And uh, as we are like said before, it's really important that we look at the overall system and how it has been an oppression mm-hmm. when it comes to who they have incarcerated, who's still incarcerated for these nonviolent offenses. And according to the ACLU from 2001 to 2010, black and white campus users between ages 18 and 25 were about the same rate. But within this time period, Black users were on average 3.73 times more likely to be arrested for these charges and still arrested. As in fact, Wanda James, her brother, had been arrested for marijuana-related charges and was in prison for 10 years. That is such an absurd amount of time and being in prison in general at all. And the fact of the matter is people are profiting off of it. And again, when we look at the lead who's taking the money, who's getting that money, it typically is made up of men, uh, white men. And so Mm -hmm. we want to talk about why this is happening. And as in fact, yesterday, which was 420, Ben and Jerry put out their, uh, I don't know if you saw their sign. They had a sign in front of the Capitol talking about the fact that we need to overhaul the system. And Ben has been an advocate about we can't celebrate 420 without acknowledging the reparations that need to be made at this time. And I think it's really important that we have this bigger conversation as we look at who is working to fight because a majority of the people who are advocating are women that I have seen that are at the forefront ready to fight for their sons, their brothers, their husbands, whomever it may be, the men in their Mm -hmm. lives, the men in their communities. And it is a constant, constant battle. And it has been for years because just like many of the ridiculous charges, nonviolent charges that we've talked about, this is not restoration. Nothing about this is restoration. This is all punitive, and that in itself is a crime. Personal opinion, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's essentially, we talked about that in our, our 420 episode that Bridget and I did, and I think that's so, so important because it does get kind of this like, Almost kitschy, funny, like, oh, 420, ha But you have to keep in mind, if you're partaking in that, what that means right. and what it has meant. In 2010, 52% of all drug-related arrests were for marijuana, which, I don't know. It, it is odd to me that it's one of those things where it's like, obviously, uh, be responsible and no... <laughs> No pressure at all. But I feel like it's sort of a a rite of passage or a lot of people just sort of try it. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's the one time. But 52% of all drug that's a lot. That's a high number. And I find it really absurd when you look at the origins 
of what it was used for and why it was grown, as well as the fact that it was part of the U.S. economy, the beginning of the colonies and how they survived. And we mm-hmm. talk about, again, the profiteering. And there's back and forth arguments about losing money, whether they lost money because the, the, it's not as well regulated or whatever, whatnot. There's this whole back and forth of how who's regulating it and how it's being bought. Because there's a lot, there's a couple of states where you're allowed to have it and use it, but you're not allowed to sell it or buy it. So it's kind of like, how does that work? As Mm -hmm. well as for uh, many places in Colorado, they saw a boom in their economy because of the level of businesses growing and the level of purchasing. So it was actually a great thing for them. But Mm -hmm. there's no real narrative to say it's one or the other. Yeah. Which is kind of surprising to me. I would have thought it would, but you have examples of both. And again, it could absolutely be about who is advocating for it, who's doing it in a way they're being supported by their government, and who's being held back. Again, very political. (laughs) It is very political. uh, And it it has been. Uh, With all of that being said, listeners, we would as always love to hear from you. Um, If you're from a state where it's legal, tell us what it's like. Uh, (laughs) Also, other countries, like, please tell us what it is in where you are. And um, if you have any people you feel like we should have spotlighted and we didn't, send those to us as well. You can email us. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Champion, we're so sorry about this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Stefan never told you the production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 